Welcome to episode 35 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, the top five things you need to know to beat the sun. Then on the Summit Gear Review, we'll show you the perfect pouch that will help you transport your grandma's famous jalapeno jelly to your favorite outdoor spot. Then our backpack hack of the week will either singe your fingers or melt your gloves, all in the hopes of having rope that won't unravel. And we'll wrap up the show with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, British historian, Sir George Trevelyan. All this and that's about it, today on The First 40 Miles. A couple episodes ago, we shared our plan for a quick weekend trip. Our number one goal was to find a backpacking spot that was as close as possible to home. And so we were looking out in the Oregon Coast Range, which is about an hour west of where we live. And our goal was to just go out into the mountains. It's uh, mostly BLM land. There's also national forest land. And we were just going to try to find a spot where we could park the van, put on the backpacks, start hiking, and end up somewhere where we could camp. So we wanted to share our experience and what we found while we were out there. So we drove down along the Nestucca River, and we found pretty much the first uh, BLM road that we could find that headed up into the hills. And what we discovered was uh, most of these roads kind of head up along ridge lines, and then there's little spur roads that take off down smaller ridges off of the hilltops. And those little spur roads are pretty short. So we got to, I think it was the very first spur road that we got to, uh, about a mile up from the highway. We parked the van, grabbed all of our backpacks and put them on and started hiking. And it was down this beautiful little spur road that, yeah, you could drive down it, no problem. But uh, there was like grass in the middle and two lanes for tires. And and, uh, so the whole family went backpacking down this spur road. And that lasted about... Five, ten minutes? (laughs) Yeah. And we got to the end of the road. So it wasn't very long at all. And uh, there was a couple already there. They'd staked it out. They had their camper and their tent and their fire going. And they were there for the weekend already. But we talked to them a little bit and got some ideas. And we kind of got the feeling that we could really take any of those spur roads and we'd probably find something similar. We'd probably hike for a very short period of time, maybe a quarter mile to a half mile. And there would be a turnaround at the end, a fire pit in the middle, and there would be a place to camp. So we kept going. We found a second spur road, and we actually drove down that spur road. There was nobody there at the end. And so at least we knew by that point that we had a place that we could come back to. Uh, But we wanted to explore a little more. I mean, you know, part of the goal of this trip was really to get to know the area better and, and to find multiple spots to backpack. So we had found other roads kind of in that area in the past, some forest service roads where we actually did some hiking around there. So I was really hopeful that we would find a BLM road that would really take us miles and miles and we would find water. And, you know, I I was hopeful the whole time. So we didn't quite end up finding a backpackable dream trail there. 
Yeah, these roads tend to stay up on the ridge lines, so now we know that. Uh, but that means no water because you're up above the creeks. Uh, so I think next time I'm going to pull out a topographical map and see if I can find any roads that head through the low areas along creeks because that would be fun. But we did have a really great camping trip. And, you know, every time we got out of the car uh, to go down one of these little BLM roads, yeah, we did go like a quarter mile, half a mile. And yeah, they were kind of like mini backpacking trips. And I think the kids had a lot of fun just doing these little mini trips. And then we would get back in the car and go to the next road and see if that road went any further. And Yeah, so it was just lots of experimentation, but a fun little miniature backpacking trips with the kids. Now, as we were driving along uh, the, kind of the main BLM road up there, we came across the scene of where a porcupine had been completely, what's the word? <sighs> Obliterated. <laughs> Obliterated. Yes, that's a good word. And so there were porcupine quills on the road. And so our kids just had to stop. So we just stopped right in the middle of this road and luckily, no one came along while we were there. We were there for how long? 20 minutes, probably? Yeah, probably. While our boys got out and, and our daughter as well, and, and were just fascinated by porcupine quills on the road. So many of the quills had been separated from the porcupine. So there was like a scene of carnage kind of behind the car and then a, just a scattering of quills kind of in front of the car. So yeah, they took a, an empty Altoids tin and went and collected Probably 50, 100 quills. And it's amazing how sharp those quills are. Yeah, on, they are just on both sides. Both ends, yeah. yeah. The, the, it's amazing. And even though we didn't find the perfect backpackable trail, we saw some amazing wildflowers and just enjoyed a classic family camping trip, which both Josh and I realized if you're going to do car camping, Having your backpacking gear makes it so much easier because when we've done car camping in the past, you just kind of shove all your stuff either in the trunk or in that backspace in your minivan, and it's just kind of a big mess. Everything falls out. Everything is so unorganized. But when you have everyone's stuff all compartmentalized in their own pack, it's so much neater and so much more organized. It's a lot easier. And we found free camping. It was car camping, but it was free and it was out in the wilderness. There was nobody else around us uh, rather than being packed into a campground. And so what is it that you have to give up to get free? Well, it's the facilities, having a restroom and running water and, and those sorts of uh, comforts. Well, if you're a backpacker, you're already prepared for no running water, for no restrooms. And so that really opens you up to these possibilities. Even though it was car camping, all of our backpacking preparation, gear, and experience helped us to be able to go on this free camping trip. Summer is here with a vengeance this year. It is record-setting hot, and with all that sunshine coming down on you, boy, there's uh, some things to be aware of to make sure that you keep yourself safe when you're out in, in those temperatures and that intensity of sunlight. So for today's top five list, we're going to run through the top five things that you need to know to beat the sun. So the number one thing you need to know to beat the sun is bring sunglasses. And really good quality sunglasses will protect your eyes from 100% of the sun's harmful UV rays. And if you think you're just going to get by with squinting on those really sunny days, 
that's not a great idea because you're going to get muscle fatigue from squinting and you're still going to have those UV rays hitting your eyes, which UV rays are not a joke. In fact, UV radiation is at least three times higher in the summertime than it is in the wintertime. A lot of times as backpackers, we plan our trips near bodies of water, or a lot of times we end up in mountains with high elevation, and those are also two more places where you're going to need sunglasses. Water is a really reflective surface, so if you have that light bouncing off the water and hitting your eyes, you're going to get those harmful UV rays bounced back to you. Even though you may not be standing directly in the sun, you can still have the effect of those UV rays. Wearing sunglasses if you're near water, uh, if you're in the mountains, or outside at any high elevation. At a high elevation, there's less atmosphere between you and the sun, so it's filtering out less of the UV uh, radiation. More of it is hitting you. Another area to really be aware of wearing sunglasses is if you're going to have any hikes over glaciers or snowfields. Now, this can happen in the summer, especially June, July. There's lots of areas uh, that are still snow-covered or have year-round glaciers. And the snow just reflects that light up with such an intensity that you just get way too much light coming into your eyes. So yeah, water, high elevations, and snow. And if you can find wraparound sunglasses, those are the best because they give you full coverage. One option we talked about in episode 31 is Popticals. They are collapsible sunglasses where basically they fold down so they take the space of just one lens to half the size of a, of a regular sunglasses. So uh, you could hear about Popticals on episode 31. Uh, you can go to the first40miles.com slash 031. The number two thing you need to know to beat the sun is wear long-sleeved shirts. Now, this is kind of counterintuitive, but long sleeves truly protect you even better than just an SPF. So most hiking clothing will list its UPF rating, and long sleeves are just a simple way to get that complete coverage. So you don't even have to worry about, you know, whether your sunscreen has come off or worn off or you've sweated it off or whatever. You just have that assurance that you are covered. The number three way to protect yourself from the sun is to bring either an umbrella or a hat. These are maybe a little more versatile than a shirt. Uh, they're easy to remove or move around and can provide a very large area of protection from the sun. And of course, umbrellas and hats double as rain protection. So there's that bonus there. They're great because they cover those prime spots for burning, like your face, your ears, the back of your neck. All those areas get covered really well if you've got either a hat or an umbrella. I guess you could call it a parasol if you want, huh? Technically. Oh, and by the way, they're in. They're so in style right now. I guess Kate Middleton uses a parasol, so... <laughs> so if you want to be the hippest backpacker around, you've got to bring your parasol. If you are style conscious, then definitely bring a parasol. Okay, and if you're not style conscious, just grab an umbrella. We uh, actually talked about umbrellas uh, way back in episode 7, thefirst40miles.com slash 007. You can learn all about backpackers who bring umbrellas on the trail. The number four thing you need to know to beat the sun is bring sunscreen and not 
all sunscreen is equal. There's chemical sunscreen and there's physical sunscreen. There have been some recent medical studies that link chemical sunscreens with some unpleasant side effects for men in particular. So you can do your own research, look into that. But we're going to talk about non-nanoparticle sunscreen. And this is zinc oxide-based sunscreen. There are a couple companies that make some really great zinc oxide-based sunscreens. We've mentioned raw elements sunscreen before. Um, Badger also makes some really great non-nanoparticle zinc oxide sunscreen. So I guess it, even if you read on the label that something has zinc oxide in it, it may have particles that are so small that they actually may cause problems with your skin, some irritation. But the stuff that's zinc oxide that stays kind of chalky white on your skin, that means that it's sitting on the surface of your skin and acting more as a physical barrier to the sun. And the sun is going to just bounce right off of that layer of sunscreen. Another benefit to zinc oxide sunscreens is that they can also be used as a multi-use item. Zinc oxide is a skin soother. So oftentimes you'll see diaper rash cream has zinc oxide in it. You can use it in cases of poison ivy or other kind of skin irritations on the trail. For a little more background about zinc oxide sunscreen, uh, check out episode 31 where we talked a little bit more about it. And we also mentioned uh, raw elements sunscreen in particular. So thefirst40miles.com slash 031. For backpackers, the best form of zinc oxide sunscreen would be in a stick. I grew up using the cream sunscreen, but my family had one tube of stick sunscreen. And um, it was something that I packed on a trip that my dad and I took to Mexico one summer. And it was just after my second year of Spanish class. So I was ready to speak the language and experience the culture. Anyway, I pulled out this tube of sunscreen. It was kind of like deodorant style where you kind of twist it up and we went to the beach and I put it on my legs. Well, I didn't rub it into my legs. I just, you know, put it on kind of with those broad strokes and went up and down each leg and uh, laid out in the sun with full confidence that I was going to get that great coverage. <laughs> and it ended up being very effective on the parts where I put the sunscreen. However, I didn't rub in the sunscreen, and so I ended up with zebra-striped legs. And once you get a suntan, uh, it takes a while to kind of to wear it off. So all summer long, I had these beautiful zebra-striped legs. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so if you use the zinc oxide sunscreen stick, make sure you... Apply it and then blend it. Kind of rub it in. <laughs> the number five thing you need to know to beat the sun is to hike early in the morning or late into the evening. The time period between 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. is where you're going to have the sun at its peak power and you've got the most UV radiation coming down. Really intense. So if you can get up and get some hiking in in the morning, then you might be able to kind of take a siesta through the afternoon and then hike again a few hours in the evening, especially if you're in an exposed area where you're not going to be able to stay out of the sun very well. EPA.gov has a really great UV index search that can help you understand your risk for certain areas. 
Of course, some of the areas that backpackers go to don't have, you know, a city name or a zip code. You're just like on the side of a mountain and you can't enter that in. But it might give you a good idea just of the general area, kind of how things are looking, and then probably bump that number up a couple notches so you'll understand what your real risks are. So you can at least get close. I I put in the zip code for the area where we live, and it gave me today's forecast for the UV radiation. So I could see hour by hour how much uh, exposure there would be today. And by the way, uh, today it's going to peak very high around, you know, 1 p.m. Today is a high exposure day in our zip code. So it's very detailed. There's a side benefit to hiking early in the morning and late in the evening, and that is that you'll see a lot more wildlife. The deer and a lot of other animals are just active at dawn and dusk. So it's really a magical time to be out on the trail and just, you know, keep your eyes open. You'll see some amazing things. So that wraps up our top five list for beating the sun. Sunglasses, long sleeve shirts, umbrellas or hats. Pay attention to the sunscreen that you bring and hike in the morning or the evening. For today's Summit Gear Review, we are reviewing the Boogenhead Squeezums. On episode 17, we reviewed Boogenhead Packums, which are these little pouches, but they're not watertight pouches. Squeezums are a little bit different, so we wanted to review those today. And it's funny, these are in the kid aisle. Like These are a kid item, but they're so perfect for backpacking. The Boogenhead Squeezums are perfect for carrying jam or jelly, and they hold a lot more than those little packets of jam or jelly that they have set out on the table at your local diner. So you can hold quite a bit, probably a week's worth for a single person, of jam or jelly or some other condiment that you want to put in there, mustard or ketchup. And then you can have it with your meals and you're not going to risk spilling or, you know, have to carry around all the trash from those little packets. It's just a really great item. So these are made of high and low density polyethylene. They have kind of a soft body and then they have a hard plastic screw top. They're BPA, PVC, and phthalate free. And how they work is there is kind of this crunchy, I don't know, soft bodied plastic bag. It's really a tough bag, but then there's a large screw topped lid. And that gives you a wide opening so that you can add your jam, your jelly, or your ketchup, or whatever. And then you screw that on counterclockwise. So on the top of the large screw top lid, there's a small screw top lid that makes it so you can get your stuff out. And these pouches can be reused over and over. The mass is 0.8 ounces for a single bag or 21 grams, and they actually come in a two-pack, which is kind of nice. And a single pouch holds 4.2 ounces of whatever you put in there. To clean the Boogenhead Squeezums, you'll just add warm soapy water, shake and rinse. And it's easy to kind of clean it if you have a bottle brush or something. We've actually just put them in the dishwasher. So top rack dishwasher safe, you should be okay with that. You can find these online and you'll pay about $8 for a two-pack. We've taken these on several trips. We've loaded them up with jam and we have served it with bannock. Oh, since you mentioned bannock, uh, if you want a great bannock recipe, head back to episode 24, thefirst40miles.com slash 024. Like I said, we found these in the kids' aisle. 
Uh, and I love finding stuff like that in other areas of the store where it's not in the backpacking section and you find it and you're like, wow, this is perfect for my next trip. So I'm sure there are so many things out there like that where maybe you don't find it in the outdoor store, but you find it somewhere else and it's the perfect match for what you need on a backpacking trip. So really any kind of gel sort of food that you want to bring on a trip, the, these Boogenhead Squeezums would be a great package to bring that in. Yeah, we've never used it with like soy sauce or anything like that. We've just used it with gel type things like jams or jellies. Yeah, so soy sauce being extremely runny, we'd have to test that out. Yeah. Okay, good to know. For the backpack hack of the week, we have bullet tip rope. Now, lots of backpackers have a section of rope or paracord in their pack, but just burning the ends to reduce fraying is so 1986. <laughs> <laughs> so out of style. You're probably not using a parasol if you just have frayed rope. No, definitely not. You said parasols are in today. Uh, oh, they, those are like, so in. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you want to give your rope that pro finish, you will need a pair of work gloves, a match, and some rope or cord. And it's going to need to be man-made material, rope or cord. It can't be jute or twine. So here we go. It's all in the technique. You'll want to heat up the end of your rope with a lit match. And then when the tip of the rope starts melting, you roll the melted tip in between your gloved thumb and index finger until the rope end cools and you will have a bullet-tipped rope with no fraying. I wish I'd known this about two weekends ago. <laughs> um, we brought a couple hammocks on our Nestucca River trip, but we forgot the, um, oh, what do they call Atlas straps. Yeah, the Atlas straps for the Eno hammock. So we had a hammock with no straps. So I pulled out my uh, backup cord that I keep in my 10 Essentials kit, and I needed to cut it in half so that I could turn it into two straps for the hammock. Uh, so I cut it in half, used a lighter to kind of uh, melt the ends of the rope. But it, the weird thing is that the outside kind of melts on its own, and then the inside strands kind of melt on their own. And so that that outside can still kind of slide up the rope, and it can still become quite a mess. So yeah, I needed this technique about two weekends ago <laughs> just to really get that outside and inside mashed together while melting it. That That's really helpful. Well, if you're feeling particularly tough, then you can certainly ditch the gloves if you don't have gloves on the trail. And you can roll that hot melted rope with your bare fingers. Ooh. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I'll pass on that. <laughs> Maybe you could use a leaf or something. I don't know. Yeah, I suppose leaf. so. Yeah, I bet that would work. We'll leave you with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, British historian, Sir George Macaulay Trevelyan. He said, After a day's walk, everything has twice its usual value. Especially food. <laughs> yeah, after a day's backpacking, <laughs> food definitely has twice its usual value. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, follow us on Facebook and Twitter or review us on iTunes. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles.
what is going on out there? A monster truck rally? <laughs> Jeep. <laughs>